You are now tuned in to another episode of Bourbon and Books, the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev. Welcome to another edition of Bourbon and Books with the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev, along with our brother cousin Jeff. I'm KEV, that's RLJ. And uh, yeah, brother J, unfortunately, uh, cousin Jeff um said he was uh predisposed he's disposed right now doing uh some other things so he couldn't uh, join us for this month's book discussion uh but i'm gonna be honest with you man. i just think uh i don't think he ever picked up the book i don't he, i think he <laughs> just got it the other day well, you know, he might have he might have bought it and didn't want to pay for like rapid shipping, so he paid for media mail. That's fair. That's and fair. He might have just got there. Um, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'll be I don't, honest, brother Jay. I think cousin Jeff was working on his excuse for at least two weeks before he <laughs> dropped it on us today, yeah. man. Yo, when I got the message, it was like we delaying it to next week. <laughs> I was like, what yo, is I said he ain't read that joint. <laughs> And then you, then when you asked the question, well, how much, how much of it did you get through? And he ain't, he ain't answered the question. I'm like, yo, we've been had. <laughs> that brother got the book to put on the shelf because of the artwork. That's it. And, and the crazy part is, you know, his his fellow HU alum got some prominent pieces in this book yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, it's all it's kind of interesting, man. It's like the book the book discussion uh, came right on time off the tales of. Uh, did he get in his lifetime achievement award uh, through BT and a beautiful tribute and him donating a million dollars to Howard and Howard is all over the place. And so you would think that uh, he had uh, the sense enough to want to investigate further on how his fellow Howard alum became so successful in their career in their career. <laughs> but I guess he wasn't, uh, he wasn't inspired by, by Diddy now known as love. I oh, guess. Well. I guess. Oh, well. Well, for uh, our listeners that uh, wanted to join us this month, um, this month's book, it was all a dream. Uh, Biggie and the World That Made Him by Justin Tinsley. It was all a dream. Biggie and the World That Made Him by Justin Tinsley. So I, off rip, I will say I was excited about this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just off the title, I was thinking that the book was going to reveal the behind the scenes Christopher Wallace that um, the movie Notorious didn't really reveal, um, that some knew, some only speculated about. Um, I didn't think it was going to go too much into the the death of Christopher Wallace, but I did think it was going to give us a clear behind the scenes view at who the man was. What were you, what were your initial thoughts off of the title? Well, the cover alone, man. You know, I uh, I was psyched because they uh, they released the book around his fiftieth birthday. Yeah, and so um, full disclosure and uh, disclaimer, like. Biggie Smalls is the illest and he's the goat in my book, man. The greatest MC of all time and can't nobody debate me on it. Now, mind you, uh, another fellow Brooklyn uh, brethren of his, Jay-Z, 
a lot of people will put him as the number one goat, but I'm just like, yo, with in a short period of time that Biggie was on top um, and his accomplishments. And then when he died, yo, he was only 24 years old, man. It's crazy, bro. And it's still crazy. book, it's still books being written about him, still tributes being written about him. And he still has uh, a very, very special place in hip hop. So um, I was excited about the book to see if I learned something that I didn't know about him before. Um, I can remember skipping school when um, his second album came out, Life After Death. And skipping school, I, I was a junior in high school and um, skipping class to go pick it up after he died and just listening to it over and over and over again. Because um, you know how when some of our elders and, and people in uh, generations past, they talk about when some of their, when, when some of their icons die and how they feel. Like uh, I, I can remember my grandfather talking about when uh, Sam Cooke died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when Jackie Wilson died, uh, when Marvin Gaye died, and it's like the the impact that they had on the culture overall, and you know all of their songs just bring back different memories. And so, um, yo man, the, the Notorious B.I.G. Uh, the cover alone just got him in in all of his splendor, man, with the the side profile of the Versace shades, and it's a black and white image of him. But then it, the color is on the Kooji sweater that he's wearing on the cover. Tough. You know what I mean? And then, of course, uh, it was all a dream. Um, that's from the that's from that's how he started off the juicy, the juicy track on his first album. And so um, that got me excited. And before I, before I started reading the book, I did some research on Justin Tinsley, who's the author. Uh, because I didn't know too much about him, but what I found out that he's actually a um, ESPN reporter with the undefeated. And, you know, that's their uh, predominantly black uh, sports news Mm. component to the uh, ESPN website. And so I was just excited to see like what um, the author could pull out about uh, Biggie's life um, that we were not aware of, um, but also, um, giving us a glimpse on how he really impacted the culture beyond um, his catalog or his body of work. So, you know, I'm, I, I was I was a little biased prior to us starting the book. That's fair, but I as as you opened it right, and I, I will say with this book, I was never not entertained or intrigued. And so, I'm not quite sure if it was just Brother Tinsley's style. Yeah. of writing um if it was just the storyline the content or just the how it was built but this was one of those it was a long one and yeah, it was you. 3 352 pages listeners and so uh of course that might have been a, above uh cousin Jeff's quota <laughs> for the money but <laughs> Yeah, three hundred and fifty-two solid pages within the bounds of the book, and then uh, tw- twelve hour and change on mm-hmm. Audible. Yeah, it was it was a little it was a little. Lengthy. Yeah, so it take it takes some time to get through it. But to your point, um, when you talked about how uh, the text was constructed, and the author seemed to take bits and pieces of. Big Chris, Fat Chris, Christopher Wallace, Christopher Christopher from uh, Fulton Street, 
um, St. James, and then the author weaves it, weaves the story and the narrative through the eyes of the people that were meaningful to him in his life mm. and that impacted him in his life. And then the author takes it a step further by weaving it into what was happening at the time and within the moment from a current event standpoint to really give you some insight on Biggie's thought process and how he was maneuvering through life, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, uh, he was killed in 97. Yeah. And so the ability to kind of, I don't know, when I was reading the book, I just felt like um, the book was still kind of coming from his own words and then the people in his tribe were like supporting the behavior or, or uh, kind of carrying out and explaining the, his thought process or his feeling. And I just, I thought that that was a real slick way that brother Tinsley was able to, um, you know, capture, capture who he was as a, as a person. Yeah, it was, it was the amount of research that brother Tinsley did for this to get the interviews that he did and to get them to reveal the information that he did, it was pretty impactful. Yeah. Like, I ain't going to lie. I was legitimately impressed. Um, Even if the brother is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Oh, say where? Okay, all right. Um, well, you know. Yeah, he went you to know, Hampton. Man. He went to the, the home by the sea. Um, that's it that's it man you know so i respect to the pirate go pirates i i was thoroughly thoroughly impressed with this body of work um a lot of this did mirror what we saw in notorious yeah and other documentaries that have been um taking place so that kind of um that kind of shed some light that the that the movie was spot on or fairly accurate um, I did like how it definitely gave a lot of the key players in Biggie's life how how he gave them room to grow within his book. Um, and at one point I was talking to someone and they was like, yeah, uh, I thought it was supposed to be about him. I was like, it was about him and the world that made him. And yep. And what I will say is the title, um, just like with any, going back to English class, right? Like everything needs to point back to the title. It needs to all be connected. And the way this brother broke down the world that made him who he was, I was thoroughly impressed. From the, from the birth like the cradle to the grave, like mm-hmm. all the details that happened um, in Christopher's life. But then he gave you some background as to what was happening in the world around him when this thing happened. Like what was happening to his mother right before she gave birth? Like how did his mother even get here and who she lived with and what was her occupation? And then when he met X, Y, and Z, what was the cultural and the, the entertainment climate when all of this was happening? And of course we know that um CJ was just was he he wasn't he never, born. 
was he was born he was born I believe uh, in January. Okay. And his father died in March. March. Yeah. Yeah. So he never got a chance to know his father. You know, but he looks like the light skinned version of him. He does. Like that's crazy. And then um, you know the chapter that uh, talked about him and 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 that relationship in the book um, just gave light to um, you know impacting how how he impacted people mm-hmm. and how he continues to impact people though uh, he hasn't been here in quite some time. And um, for uh, Justin Tinsley to really bring that together, um, it was it, it was there was some artistry there. And I, I'm like, man, like you talked about it earlier. Um, him having to pull resources and sources to go through previous interviews. Like he cited damn near every, every biggie documentary, every biggie movie interviews from his mother in like 95 interviews from members of the junior mafia interviews from, from Diddy interviews from Andre Harrell interviews from uh, executives at a lot of the record, the parent record labels that um, bad boy was affiliated with interviews from Suge Knight and Tupac and interviews from all of the people that were kind of involved in that East coast, West coast thing. And so I'm just like, damn, man, he, he really did put forth some effort to paint a, a, a picture of, you know, how, uh, Christopher Wallace became uh, Biggie Smalls that then became the Notorious B.I.G. And all of the various associated monikers, whether it was Frank White or Big Papa or, um, you know, the Teflon Don, yeah. you know. It, it, was, it was very interesting how, like I said, he gathered facts and incorporated details um of how things became to be. Yeah. And I think I vaguely remember the Charlie Baltimore fiasco. Vaguely. Oh, around yeah, around around the um the get money, the get money video and her playing her playing wearing a wig and playing uh faith in in the video through in in your window. I was like, wow. Yeah. I, and then I was like, they dated. And then I was like, wow. Biggie, Biggie was a Biggie was a player, man. Biggie was a player, but I think part of it, like I, I think outside looking in, a lot of people knew that. But in the book, it tells you how he became the player that he was. You know, just the fact that he um had this aura and his personality and his sense of humor mm-hmm. um that made everybody feel comfortable. You know, and I, and I, so that was like that was one of the kind of inside inside uh stories that i really didn't know that he was you know he was just a genuine kind person that loved to laugh like one of the uh themes throughout the book and that many could attest to that he was all he always had a smile on his face yeah right and when you think about uh 90s hardcore rap you don't really think about rappers smiling at all yeah and i remember um it was some documentary uh, that DMX was featured in and DMX talks about meeting um, Biggie Smalls for the first time. And he's like, he's like, this, this is the hardest dude out. <laughs> Cause you know, he was like in, in the studio joking and everything, but it comes out in the, in the book. Like, yo, he, he had a, a very witty, witty sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that level of wit kind of came out um, in his songs, but you know, it, he derived, you know, that, that wit came from, 
uh, a time where he was studying like all genres of music. Yeah. He was studying like um, art. He was studying uh, just different uh, cultural uh, phenomenons during um, his upbringing. And he kind of leveraged that and, you know, found a mentor and put all of those learnings into his art form. Which, Only I, thought, to, which I thought was dope because the impact yeah. was like it la- a lot of the stuff landed on you because you was listening to rap. Mm-hmm. But then when you sat and really listened to it, it was like street philosophy. Yeah. And you have to be in the right space to really understand a lot of the hidden messages and innuendos that were like within the bounds of his uh, album cover. And hell, to this day, I listened to something the other day and I was like, oh, that's what that means. Um, Even with One More Chance, like when they were talking about the original, I had to go back and listen to the original. I was like, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was raunchy. Yeah. And I was <laughs> the, the, like, the, the album cut was raunchy, man. They had to go back and remix it and put it out. And the remix was smooth as hell. Yeah. But yeah. it was also interesting to hear, right? It's, like the way the the way Brother Tinsley wrote it, you were in the moment as if you were like literally in that real experience, hearing the dialogue between Puffy and the execs on the phone, and then like having a moment of when he said, "Oh shit!" Like I could hear Puff saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call you right back. Hanging up, and then like going to the lab and putting in work, and so. I thought that was pretty dope. And then being able to go back and review or watch the bodies of work that they referenced to see what they were talking about in the construction part, that was pretty dope too. Yeah, it help, it helps you uh, appreciate his his artistry from a new lens. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy because one of the one of the stories they tell in the book is about the track Unbelievable off of his first album, Ready to Die. And um, DJ Premier produced the produced the track. And for those of you who d- that don't know DJ Premier, um, half of Gangstar, DJ Premier, Guru, uh, Primo, one of the, man, top five hip-hop producers all time. For you youngins, um, if you go back, go back through the Versus catalog, it was, it was Primo versus RZA from the Wu-Tang. So that tells you the level of production, that uh, the level of producer that he is. Mm-hmm. And Premier tells the story about them kind of piddling, piddling around the studio all evening only to not have anything. And Biggie disappears and goes in the back and Primo goes back there and finds him. And Biggie is uh, indulging in fellatio <laughs> with two women. And Primo's like, well, what the hell is going on here? So after after Biggie uh, finishes his thing, he comes in the studio and lays down Unbelievable in one take. One of the hardest tracks on the album. And so, like, just to see, like, the genius in that, because, like, yo, people kind of got on him about, like, not being focused in the studio. Mm-hmm. And he would kind of just go through his own process. But while he was, like, pissing around, man, he was writing a song in his head. You know, smoking weed, drinking, talking trash, you know, indulging in women, and then going to the booth. And you got to, yeah, 
straight fire. Yeah, straight fire, one like one hit a quitter, man. Like seriously. And so there are a lot of different um stories and scenarios within the book. And you just like, damn, yo, he he was a genius. And it's and the crazy part about it, you know, we 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 talked talked a little bit about his upbringing, you know, the fact that he was raised by a single mother, um, and he had different people in his life at different stages that um he really took to, they took to him, and that became part of his larger community. But one of the pieces that um, was so impressive to me is that um, he was a fan of other hip hop artists. Like he was a fan. I mean, he was a true fan of um, the the MCs that came before him, whether it was Public Enemy, uh, Big Daddy Kane, um, Rakim, Coogee Rap. But then he was a fan of his peers. And like when you think you kind of think about the East Coast, West Coast thing that people talk about more prominently between him and Tupac, like he was a fan of Death Row. Legit, a legit yeah, fan. You know, like the chronic, the chronic and doggy style inspired, like put a battery in his back to say, yo, I can do this. And if I do it, I want to do it on that level. Yeah. Right. He was a fan of uh, West Coast artists. If it was uh, Dr. Dre or Spice One or E-40, he was a, a fan of. Um, artists from the South, Scarface, uh, Outkast, uh, Too Short, not from the South, but he met Too Short in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was a fan of his peers. And I think the unfortunate part is, you know, I think that goes uh, unnoticed a lot of times when you talk about Biggie because of the way that he died and the the conflict between him and Tupac and Bad Boy versus uh, Death Row. Yeah. And, yo, he, he was a legit fan with all of the artists that he worked with he was a fan of just the culture in general and i think that that made him want to be successful as an mc and and it's kind of crazy because a lot of times if if you speak to a younger generation um you you talk about you know where does where does biggie place on you know your top five mcs or you know those barbershop conversations that people have and the first thing people talk about is the beef. But Biggie, Biggie, you know, cultivated a circle of people that really loved him. And it wasn't through hate. It wasn't through beef. It was right. through love and appreciation and admiration. And, you know, the way that he loved his mother, you know, the way that he loved his mother, even though he was a pain in the ass, the pain way that he, the, the way ass. that he loved his friends, you know what I mean? The, the way that he gave of himself, um, but I think it just gave me a better appreciation for the heart that he had. Yeah. And that heart, that heart, he really poured his heart out into his music. You can definitely see where his passion was. And I, I love it towards the end where Brother Tinsley talks about how Biggie didn't want his son to know, to remotely know what life was like to hustle. He was like, I don't want him to be around any of this. Yeah. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing, so he doesn't have to. Um, you, I, I, you had to laugh at some of the things, right? Because on what was revealed was right. Yo, know, he's an upstanding individual. Like he, he legit had a big heart and legit wanted to do things the right way. But he was like, "I'm, I'm gonna do things my way." 
and, and some of some of the ways was grind like like grimy as hell, right. man. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I was like, okay, grimy, yo. You? And then like two seconds later, you like in the hotel room with seven other women after you just talking about like, yo, I think he said a fuck is a fuck, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And, um, or 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 on the flip, he says, um, you know, he ain't want to be a lawyer. He didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a drug dealer. Yeah. Cause he was good. He was good at breaking down a brick, packing it up, and selling it and making money. And I mean, it was it was very black and white. It was no it was no gray area with that. Yeah, like this. Like is- that was a choice he made when he was when, when, when of course he didn't know any better as a teenager. But like that was the choice that he made. He said, "Yo, fuck this school. I'm a good drug dealer, and I'm going to I'm going to pursue that." Yeah. Even though he had this this beautiful mind. Like that's what he um, resorted to. I, you know, you could say out of necessity, even though he was a smart guy, he was on the college track. He had a very supportive mother who was a teacher and an educator. And so, you know, did he have to go that way? Probably not. But he was developing his own uh, thoughts and yep. his own sense of freedom. Yep. That kind of conflicted. That was a lot of the beef that him and his mother got into. Like he wanted freedom, but even though his mom was very protective of him. But he wanted to go out and experience what the streets was like. Yeah. To see, you know, and you know, knock on wood, he didn't he didn't uh fall victim to a lot of the BS when he was younger. But at the same time, it it I don't know. I wonder about um a person that makes a choice to do wrong. Right? Mm. Cause it was, I don't. It wasn't a necessity. He 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 didn't get along with his mother. He wanted his own freedom. He said, "You know what? I'll go make some money. I'll be a drug dealer, and I'm for the streets." Yeah. But I I wonder like what was going on in his head that made him commit to that choice before people started to kind of put barriers and a guard around him because they saw the talent that he had. Like it was a lot of people in his life that supported him that was part of the streets. And they made sure to put barriers around him so he wouldn't fall victim to the streets. Yeah. Though he was good at being in the streets. Yes. And I think that also, um, I think that said a lot about who he was because he made sure that he kept those individuals around him. Like, especially with Junior Mafia, how he was like, yo, I, I, I wasn't trying to get them involved in this. Yo, we in the studio. I'm going to go do this work. When I get back, we about to put this on tape. Make sure your rhyme is done. Um, And so I, I thought that was pretty dope, too. Like, the hood mentor. Yeah. Right? Like, he he was providing and doing um, what was done to him, but he was doing it in his new lane that he just got introduced to. And I, I thought that was dope, man. When you when you really look beyond the music, when you really get to the point where you can see um, who Christopher Wallace was as a person, some behaviors may not have agreed with, but I didn't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He was doing doing what he felt was the right way to go about the the life that he wanted to live. Um, I did like how, because oftentimes 
this t- is typically brushed over when individuals uh, change their life. And, you know, the lifestyle was different, and now, you know, they are attached to an organized religion or they become more spiritual. It's typically like glanced over. And Brother Tinsley definitely let this unfold itself where we can see the new trajectory that was Christopher Wallace's life. And I thought that was pretty dope to get more of an intense um, snapshot. And actually, I wouldn't even call it a snapshot because it was more developed than just a snapshot. Yeah, it, it was it was more developed, but I think it was um, it was hyper focused, and it was almost this exponential growth. Yeah, because I mean, when he when he got discovered, oh, you know, he was nineteen years old. Yeah, nineteen. When he died, he was twenty four. Twenty four years old, bro. Like that's a lot of living to do in five years, and to kind of grow into that perspective, you know. And it's and it's crazy because. Um, your great, your great MCs, man. Uh, whether it's Biggie, whether it's Jay Z, whether it's Nas, and and even for some of the um, the younger guys, you know, Kendrick, J Cole, um, they they are prophets, man. And a lot of times, brother Jay, when you think about prophets, prophets often go in places and in communities and uh, become part of groups and tribes that. Most people won't go because they don't see value in it. Most people won't go because they don't they they don't um, acknowledge acknowledge uh, those individuals coming from those different walks of life. And one of the things that you just hit on was like how that sense of care and um, that, and giving to his community, like he legit wanted to reach the people that were in the streets the people that were out there hustling, the people that were out there um, sometimes making uh, decisions that compromise their uh, lifestyle, that compromise their freedom, yeah. that compromise their life. Like he wanted to let them know that he was with them and he understood it. And, you know, he he probably wouldn't have had that perspective if he had not made some of the choices that he made when he was 15, 16 years old. Like that's just that's it's crazy to me because on one end you have like this perfect student like in the book it says he was like this um, his mother says he was this perfect son from the time he was born to the time he was about twelve years old and then she she put all of these different parameters around him he was like the only kid on his block that had to be home before the street lights couldn't leave his porch and and go out and really see what was going on because she was aware of like the chaos and the jungle mm-hmm. that was around him. Mm-hmm. And so she was doing what a mother did, but it was almost like, yeah, I, but I have to go out and I have to feel this for myself. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's in a, in a way it's like a, it's like kind of naive, but then the way it's like very mature and and that was and I think that was kind of the balance that he was he was really trying to make in his life. And the fact that the matter is that you had all of these stories, and you impacted all of these people, and um, you have this admiration from um, all of these individuals. And you're 24 years old. 
Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking how I was acting between the age of 16 and 25. Yeah, I was in these streets, bro. Yeah, yeah, and so what, what, it, it like makes sense. I was sense. focused, but I wasn't like a philosopher. Mm-mm. He legit was a street philosopher, yeah. and he was providing. You could call him a hood prophet, bro. He was providing hope to individuals within the hood, and it went beyond the music. It went by his lifestyle where he was like, I remember early on in the book, they were talking about how he, somebody in his crew didn't want to sell crack to one of the, one of the crack pregnant women. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Didn't want to sell crack to a pregnant woman. He was like, if we don't, somebody else is going to do it. So why you, why I'm gonna miss out on money? Yeah. And in my head, I was like, "Hmm, (laughs) like, dude, Touche. Yeah, like, and he and he, he said because at the end of the day, it's not like it's not like she she was going out trying to get high, and because uh because Chris Wallace turned her down because Big Chris turned her down, then she gonna go back home and just go to sleep. Yeah, she gonna find she gonna find a way to get high. Yeah, so he was like, why am I gonna mess up my money over this? And in my head, I'm just like, oh yeah, well, you, got the, you got a point. Like it was it was wrong. Right. And he he did things his way. And so, brother, on the black power fist scale, Biggie, um, you know, it was all a dream. Um, Biggie and the world that made him. What do you give it? Man, come on, man. You, that's almost like a, a softball question, man. I'm I'm giving it five. I'm giving it five fists off the rip. One, because I just I love I love all things. Christopher Wallace. Uh, notorious Big, Biggie Smalls, uh, but but in 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 reality though, um, you know the way that Justin Tinsley put the book together, mm-hmm. and the research that he did, and how he weaves so many stories in, like uh, Biggie is discovered by Puff and um, on the verge of signing, and he goes into. Uh, to write ready to die and the chronic album is out the uh doggy style album is out um the rodney king situation goes down the verdict goes down and really has brought in all of these different stories that helps me make more sense of the artistry that christopher wallace produced and it helps me make more sense about who he was at a man. And then I'm just blown away because even at that time, he's 20, he's 20 years old, man. Yeah. He's, he's legit 20 years old. And I'm just like, yo, that's, 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 you know, you could call it prophetic. You could call it genius. Um, you can call it a savant like that. It's, that's, that's, you know, no point intended. That's unbelievable to me, man. That's yeah. unbelievable. And in the in the way that the author was able to um paint a clear picture and it was entertaining, like you said before and early in the conversation, it was entertaining. He just didn't recite or regurgitate what uh what he read or what he saw. He actually was able to tap into the voices mm-hmm. of the people that loved him the most. And and just it just seems like a massive research project that he just made so simple and told a great story. And it gave us something new that we didn't know. So, you know, uh, I, I just think, um, you know, Biggie as an artist, masterful artist, but the author, I want to give Justin Tinsley his props as well, 
because I think he did a masterful job of creating a, um, you know, you could consider it a, a, a variation of an autobiography, but creating something that um, painted a picture of like a, a, a subject that you would assume people have known, they know everything about him. Yeah. It was just based on his music and the movies and the documentaries and um, the, the hip hop artists that have shouted him out. And he gave me a, a new perspective and a, a great appreciation, especially around the age that uh, Christopher Wallace was and what he brought to the world during a very, very short period of time. Yeah, definitely yeah. five on my on my end. Yeah, I'm, I, it's a five for me off rip. It's a five. Um just the just the ability of the writer to keep us engaged um and the storyline the way like the storyboard the way it was constructed and how it flowed you know oftentimes you read a book and the chapters bounce around or you got to insert here and they give you a snippet here and then they give you background on something that's completely unrelated um the brother, the brother has a gift here, and it did shed some light on some things that we thought we knew, that we heard snippets of. It it definitely gave um, the story of Christopher Wallace some room to breathe, like it bloomed, like a nice bourbon. It bloomed, and yeah, um, yeah I'm giving it a five, man. So that's that's a five on the Black Power Fist scale. Bourbon and books. Yeah, man. And um, Cousin Jeff wanted around to bring that rating down, so. <laughs> he would have gave it a one just because it was too long. Yeah, it was too long. He would have docked. He would have docked it two fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the highest I could give it is a three just based on the length of the text. <laughs> three for the 300 and some pages that you had me read. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so. You know that that was uh that was the game recognized game podcast review, uh, five black power f- sign fists on a GRG scale for uh, it was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him by Justin Tinsley, um, definitely a good book, a good read. Um, if you pick up the the paperback or hardback, or if you uh, download it on uh, one of your streaming platforms or Audible. Um, very entertaining book um, that I think all will enjoy and all will learn something new about um, one of the greatest American authors and artists of all time. Yes, sir. By way of uh, Mr. Christopher Biggie Smalls Wallace. Till next time, you've just witnessed another edition of Bourbon and Books with the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev and our boy cousin Jeff. Who's absent? Who's absent? I'm KEV. That's RLJ. Until next time, be light. Be light.